Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are new to grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Today's guest is Derek Fage. He's one of the most charming people I know. He's worked on a local lifestyle show for 11 years before he moved to become the host of Breakfast Television Montreal on City TV. A self-proclaimed child at heart, Derek is curious about everyone and everything, and that's a quality that engages the viewers daily. Back in 2012, he was awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal for his community work and contributions to charitable organizations. After going public with his personal struggle of living with chronic fecal incontinence since birth, he accepted the role of ambassador and champion for the Canadian Continence Foundation in the hopes of helping others who are living with any number of challenges. Derek is currently with Rogers TV. He's an amazing television host and has been honored multiple times. He's spoken at the Global Forum on Incontinence in Rome, at the Canadian National Conference on Incontinence, and his TEDx talk was in Laval, Quebec. I could go on and on, but I'd rather introduce you to Derek himself. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that you've joined me here today. You have a, a very powerful, incredibly emotional, and uh, very you're you're such a genuine person. I, I don't even want to call it a story. It's your life is. I think incredibly inspirational and I don't want to embarrass you or, uh, but I find everything about you charming and wonderful and all the people that I meet who know you say exactly the same thing. <laughs> so one thing you need to know, Derek is a hundred percent the genuine, charming, wonderful human being that sits before you today. So I'm going to um, stop talking. I'm going to give you a chance to take it where you will. We have a number of things we can cover because it's a suicide Zen forgiveness podcast. There, there is always uh, a touch of sadness uh, in our podcast, but there's also humor. And that's one of the things I think you do incredibly well. So, Derek, I, I give the floor to you. Well, thank you so much, first of all. And um, wow, what an introduction. I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> I, um, I appreciate you reaching out to me, uh, Elaine. Uh, as you said, my story is uh, a very emotional one. Um, when I decided to go public with my story, I, I wanted to make sure that 
you know, I was authentic and honest and, and was completely vulnerable in, in telling the story. So, you know, just to give your viewers an idea of, of what my story has been like, I was born with um an imperfect anus actually it's called a high imperfect anus so there's there's different levels of it which basically means i was born without the actual anal opening and so doctors had to create that um shortly after birth i always joke you say my sense of humor i always joke that doctors made me an asshole um <laughs> it's a it's a great way to break the ice at parties i'll tell you um and i was also born without a sphincter muscle so um, that combination has led to me living with chronic fecal incontinence my entire life. So to this day, I, I still wear protection. We're not allowed to call it adult diapers in the, uh, <clears throat> yes. I mean, uh, you know, heaven forbid we be honest and tell someone that, you know, exactly what it is, but that's, um, you know, I, I think it's just, it makes people feel uncomfortable. And, you know, when we think of diaper, we think of babies and, uh, so, it, you know, with the, with the work that I've done through the Canadian Continents Foundation, we always, you know, call it sort of adult protection. But, you know, if you're wondering exactly what that means, that means you're, you're, you're basically wearing diapers. I actually um, don't wear diapers anymore, but I'll, I'll get to that and explain why in, in just a little bit. Um, I do wear, I still wear protection, but um, it's just not convenient with the type of uh, bowel management that I have to deal with on a daily basis. So um, at birth, of course, you know, when you're, you know, probably I would say the first two years, I, I really consciously had, you know, had no idea how, how serious the issue was. That was really my parents to deal with. And that's going back over 50 years ago now. So you can imagine um, it, it's not a very common thing, right? I think yeah. it's about one in every 6,000 births have some sort of um imperfect anus uh some as i said are worse than others i just happened to be at the high end of that and so they had to really deal with uh i had a colostomy for some time um, which basically means you know they put an incision in your in your stomach they bring out the intestine they cut it and then they put a tube on it and then you you, you go through a through a bag and there was many complications um my yeah. mom take me to the emergency room on on multiple occasions um we had issues where the intestine had fallen out of the tube and gone back inside of me which created some pretty massive infection uh so again you know my i, I i've always felt that my parents had the most difficult time certainly you know surrounding this medical condition until I reached probably kindergarten into grade one. So of course, you know, everybody's in diapers when they're a baby. So, you know, it was, I was no different than any other child. Uh, but of course, when I got into kindergarten and probably more into grade one, where everybody started, you know, getting out of diapers and they were properly potty trained and so forth, uh, I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much the only young child wearing <sighs> diapers still at the time. Uh, my parents had to, Go to the uh, elementary school that I was uh, that I was in. I went to uh, Green Bank Public School and Knoxdale Public School in, in Nepean, and they had to explain what the condition was. I actually got a key to the staff bathroom so that I could keep my diapers in there, and I didn't, you know, if I had an emergency, I could run to the staff bathroom and have the bathroom oh, to good. myself. Yeah, and so you know, I mean, people were were certainly very understanding. Um, by that, I mean the adults. Adults. 
the children uh, much different, as you know, when they when they find a weakness sometimes in people, uh, they take advantage of that weakness. And uh, that's when my difficult time began. Um, you know, it wasn't something I could I could necessarily hide all the time, regardless oh. of wearing a diaper. You know, I would I, I would have uh, severe diarrhea. My uh, many people that are actually born with with imperfect anus also or have have other issues. So a lot of stomach issues, IBS and that kind of things, which I have. So, you know, the combination of those two things um, is is pretty difficult and you want to you know be a kid like everyone else there's yeah there's things i should have stayed away from sugar and spicy food and fried food and on and on but you know you see your your brother and your sisters you know eating those things and yeah uh you, you feel like you, you're 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 being left out if you if you don't have yeah. the same advantage to enjoy that so yeah i i I did things I shouldn't have done. I consumed things I shouldn't have consumed and I suffered the consequences and then had um, very embarrassing moments in school where, uh, you know, kids could smell me. Uh, unfortunately, when you have a, a condition like that, you don't necessarily smell yourself after a while. You know, you kind of, right, you kind of get used to your own, you know, whether it's body odor or whether, whether it's feces yeah. like myself, uh, we can't necessarily smell it like like others so i found myself in a position where i was bullied uh, relentlessly both verbally and uh and physically um so those first those first few years in school were uh were very difficult to like for sure oh my god it was interesting too because i um for someone that was so afraid to be around other people i I also loved people. I was a very hyperactive kid. You know, my mom would joke with me uh, years later in life and say, you know, if Ritalin was was popular, you know, back then, I probably would have been on maximum dosage of it because that's sort of what we, that's what we try to do with kids um, where, you know, I, I had a guest on the show many, many years ago and he actually described that hyperactivity as a gift. And yeah. that was the first time I've ever heard somebody explain it that way. And I think it was a bit of a relief for me because he said, you know, having that kind of hyperactivity brings a ton of energy. And what, what we yeah. should be doing as, as parents or as role models is just encouraging young people to find somewhere to use that energy totally. instead of, yeah, instead of stifling it, yeah. you know get them involved in sports or acting or, you know, whatever it happens to be, the arts of some kind or music, you know, um, there is an outlet. We just have to work as a team to, to figure out what that outlet was. So as a hyperactive kid who loved attention, um, <laughs> I, it was it was a real conflict for me because I also didn't want attention because yeah. I didn't want people to find out, you know, what my medical condition was. Yeah. Wow. Just that's a lot to handle for a child. And in a way, your gift of being hyperactive helped you get through all the horrible bits of bullying and, and you know, the physicality of that and having to put up with that. That extra energy is also really important because just the IBS, not not even counting the incontinence, 
that can be so draining and so tiring. You needed that extra energy. I, I, I agree. I know. I, I well said, Elaine, because I don't think, you know, there's a great sense of guilt when you have a, a, any kind of condition, I think, especially when it affects the other people around you and, and people don't realize that 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 there is a great sense of guilt because, you know, if I'm having a, a bad day, um, you know, I can't go to my stepson's hockey game. Um, I can't go biking with my wife who wants to, you know, go biking that day or she has to wait for me um, because I have stomach cramps that morning and, you know, I'm on the I'm on the toilet for an hour and, you know, there's a real sense of frustration, not for my, just myself, but there's a sense of frustration from my wife or my daughter, you know, I can't go to the Taekwondo competition and, and watch her. I get halfway there and I soil myself and I've got to drop off my, my stepson or my daughter and come back home and clean up and try to make it back in time. Um, and you're right. It's, it's exhausting, um, both physically and, and mentally. So having the gift of of that hyperactivity and that energy you're right it, it went a long way and i had an incredible imagination um really fortunate where we grew up uh we grew up in the pn on uh, in arlington woods on riverbrook road so our our backyard backed onto a creek so i had the greatest play area a child could ever have and i would spend hours and hours by myself in that creek and just coming up with different scenarios uh you know i always like to pretend i was an action star in films and um a stunt man so i mean i'd throw myself down the down the hill and pretend you know i was rolling down the hill in some crazy film scene that i had made up in my mind and um so i you know i spent a lot of time by myself i think um which I, I I did a talk at Algonquin just a, a couple of months ago, yeah. a presentation, and both my parents were there in the front row, and that oh, was, wow. um, yeah, that was pretty emotional because, oh. you know, I didn't hold back on, on things, and I, I think they were quite surprised on the amount of time I, I said that I spent by myself because, you know, you just you're a kid, and you go out, and you play, and, you know, you, you come back in, and I, I don't think they realized how... Uh, yeah. <clears throat> how isolated I, I made myself. Um, but again, without them, I mean, they were a great, a great support system, Elaine. I can't say enough about my parents and my brother and my sisters and my extended family. I mean, yeah. without them, I could have had a pretty miserable childhood. Uh, they yeah. made it as, as normal as possible and, and, you know, um, found those, those activities that uh, could help me release some of that energy. So I, I really loved sports. I was always probably the smallest kid uh, in any sport that I that I played growing up. But um, I had a chip on my shoulder, and I wanted to prove myself. And I might not have been the best at any of the sports I played, but I've always said to people, I can guarantee I worked harder than than anybody else. So you know, I played soccer. I played competitive squash. Um, I played football, I played rugby. Uh, there wasn't a sport that I wasn't interested in badminton, you, you name it. And if I started playing something, I really became obsessed with it. And, uh, again, just wanted to, to prove myself any opportunity that came my way. I think, I think it's really important to note that 
you know, all that alone time as a child, allowing you to foster your creativity and kind of gird your loins for what you had to put up with at school. And it was giving you an inner fortitude that has obviously stood you in good stead. Yeah, and you, you know, people always ask me, you know, how I was able to to deal with it. And fortitude is a great word because I I, I created this great defense mechanism. Um, I guess I would describe it later in life. I think I said it in my TEDx talk that uh, I always treated um, those bad moments of one moment in a long life, and you know, I lived through it. I had my cry. I had, you know, went home and cleaned up and bawled my eyes out. And then I was up the next morning and, and ready to tackle the day. That's not to say, you know, I didn't take advantage to a certain extent of having my medical condition because I could always say to my parents, you know, if I was having a bad day, if I was depressed or I didn't want to go back to school because I had one of those horrible bullying incidents, I could just tell them, oh, my stomach is off and I, I can't go to school right. today. And certainly, you know, um, as guilty as I feel today, uh, I think, um, you know, taking advantage of that was good for my mental health. Uh, you know, yeah. I would, yeah. without realizing I was realizing it, I was taking mental health days as a very young child. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I had a, I had an excuse to, to do it. Right. I, I had a yeah. medical excuse to do it. And so I, I did it probably more often than I should have. <laughs> Well, I, I think the the fact that you were smart enough to do that, and um, in Scots we say canny enough to use that to your advantage, is it's kind of one of the little gifts you were given for having to put up with what you put up with. Hmm. Yeah. Whether, whether you believe in God or the universe or or whomever or whatever, there are always little gifts that we can choose to use or not. Mm -hmm. And I think you chose to use every single one you were given. Yeah, and I give credit to, again, that support system who made, you know, yeah. childhood, um, you know, normal, as normal as, as yeah. possible. Uh, we had uh, my mom and dad's best friends, Eric and Nancy Goodwin. Um, they had three lovely young boys, uh, Glenn, Tom and Dave, and we would go to their cottage each and every oh, yeah. summer for, for extended periods of time. And that became um, sort of my little sanctuary. My Like I could not wait for school to end. And, and be able to go to that cottage and get away from from everything and everyone and it was just our two families together um those those boys never questioned anything about my condition i don't know if my i, I call them my aunt and my uncle um yes i don't know if they ever sat down and talked to the boys i've, I've actually never asked them i you know now that i'm talking now that i'm saying it i wonder you know, they're, yeah. they're still around today, Nancy and Eric Goodwin, and I don't know what I would have uh, done without that friendship. Awesome. Awesome. As you got into, well, the older grades, you know, grade seven, grade eight, and moving on to high school, uh, that had to be terrifying. 
Oh, yeah, it was. I, you know, my brother and I were very, very close. We, we remain incredibly close. Um, but I really wanted to find sort of a best friend, right? Uh, I think we all strive for um, that relationship with, with a stranger that we've never met yeah. before that's going to be part of our lives. And I was very reluctant to have a best friend because, I again, I didn't want... I, I craved the the attention and, and and friendship, but I didn't want to get too close <clears throat> because I didn't want this dirty little secret to uh, to be known. Um, but I I met my best friend Gary Fields in grade seven. I've always described it as like a scene of a movie. I was rushing to to class, and um, it was the first week of of school. It was Leslie Park Public School, middle school. Mm-hmm in the pen and uh, i came around a corner and i ran into this young man and books went flying and i was completely flustered and grabbing the books and apologizing like the good canadian i am over and over again and <laughs> uh, and and gary was just you know no it's okay you know and he's helping pick pick up the books and he introduces himself and hi i'm gary you know now what's your name and um boy we just became fast friends uh, um i would find out i think it was probably about three years later but that gary's father was living with crohn's and colitis so i Ah, i think gary had that understanding and that caring about him and empathy um that was just born within him because he had seen his own father going through struggles uh, but Gary was the first friend I actually sat down with and I told him about my, my medical condition and he just went, oh, okay, you want to play? You know, like he didn't, he didn't care. Like it didn't phase him at all. And um, he became really my, my rock for many, many years. Gary and I were inseparable. Um, we loved all the same things, had the same sense of humor, loved our martial arts films we watched some of the worst martial arts films known to mankind um, <laughs> oh absolutely every <laughs> single one of them we, yes. we just love them and uh gary like gary was so special in that you know let's say we would go i've told this story many times but you know we would go to the movies together and i would have an accident sitting in the theater and i would lean over to gary and say you know oh, man i I'm so sorry. And again, the guilt, right? I'm so sorry. I've had an accident. I've got to go home. You know, we're in the middle of a movie that we just paid for and I have to leave. And uh, Gary's like, no problem. And he would walk behind me so that people couldn't see I soiled myself. And uh, I would go to the washroom and clean up as best I could. And then all the way home. Um, It was a it was a fairly long walk home, probably a 20 minute walk home. And Gary would walk behind me the whole way home so that. no one could see that I, that I soiled myself, and I, I was I was saying to you, you know, I sort of um, went from from diapers to deciding that it, it wasn't it wasn't manageable to walk around with a a knapsack all the time, yeah. with, you know, six or seven diapers because with this condition, um, it's basically it's basically constant. It's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You don't have a sphincter yes. muscle, so there's nothing there to hold anything up. So, you know, you, you, you have to be protected at all times. So um, if I'm going out often, I might have to change six or seven times 
you know, yeah. in like a two hour period of being out somewhere. So yeah. what I started to do is just making pads with toilet paper because it was readily available everywhere. It was flushable, right? Yeah. Um, so I just create these pads and that way I was better able to manage going to the washer more often, right? I yeah. could go, I could go yeah. every half an hour and, you know, just make sure everything, everything was fine and, and change yeah. myself. And, and to this day, that's, um, that's exactly what I did. And, you know, going back to um, getting up there in, in grades after grade seven and eight, all of a sudden, you know, you're hitting high school and yeah. uh, the anxiety level uh, was intensified by, you know, a hundred times. Um, I was a young man and, you know, I had the best friend and now I wanted a girlfriend and I just thought any girl would think I was just disgusting quite frankly that that's that was my mindset and i did have some girlfriends in in high school but once we got close and things got intimate or started to have any inclination of romance or intimacy uh, i shut down yeah i would um stop stop talking stop calling um avoid them at school uh, again, so desperate for a girlfriend, I didn't, I didn't break up with any of them. They broke up with me because I, I had ruined the relationship. Really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that was into my late teens, Elaine, in my early twenties. That was my darkest times for sure. Yeah. I started. Uh, I was smoking marijuana on a daily basis. Um, I was drinking as well to excess at times to self-medicate to yeah. sort of turn off the world. That's um, numb you. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much it. And um, I had a great ability of, you know, I, I was one of those people that have really high highs and then really low lows. Oh, but I had a great ability during those low lows. Um, to pretend everything was okay and i would put a smile on my face and go out and people ask how i was i, I was great great thanks great yeah. and, and 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 you know to that i i still say that you know i still have that answer to everybody today but you know thankfully i actually mean it now yeah but then yeah. because i'm 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 extremely grateful where i find myself in life but back then um it was a lie and I wasn't great. Uh, I fooled myself into thinking that, oh, you know what? I was just, you know, bummed out. No, I was, I was severely depressed. Yes. And Gary and I were living together um, on Macy Boulevard, uh, the corner of Carling and Kirkwood, right across from Hampton yeah. Park Plaza. And we had this beautiful two bedroom apartment and life probably looked good from the outside to everybody including gary probably thought you know that i was happy because i told him i was yeah um but uh, i had i planned my own suicide um i had fallen into this depression and the numbing from the alcohol and the marijuana wasn't enough enough and um so i i had some pills i i brought a plastic bag into my bedroom and an elastic and 
I had drank uh, in excess that that evening into the night. Um, Gary was going to school, so he was uh, he was studying quite a bit. He was in architecture, so he was constantly in his room drawing and so forth. So I just quietly thought, I'm just going to take these pills and put this bag over my head and put the uh, elastic around and just hopefully the pills would put me to sleep and I wouldn't I wouldn't wake up. And thankfully, you know, I was I was obviously very upset. Um, I, I was in tears with sort of the the planning and knowing that you know I wasn't going to wake up the next morning and um, thank goodness Elaine I had this sort of epiphany where I started thinking about you know all those people that invested so much to make um, my childhood and my, my life um, meaningful and happy and um, I thought oh you know what what would this do to my mother and father uh, what would this do to you know my brother and my sisters and my granny who I had a close relationship she was still alive and I I, I realized I would ruin their lives you know I think we forget that when when we have these thoughts and moments in our head we forget that people have invested a lot of time and love into us and although we may not feel very good about ourselves there are people out there that that believe in us and that love us and i decided then and there that i would start you know sharing more with with the, the friends that i had and just give them a better understanding of what i was what i was going through i never told anyone um until i went public many years ago like even my best friend gary who was down the hall whose life i would have absolutely destroyed oh my god yeah um i i didn't tell him like i didn't share with him until oh i was i guess in my mid 40s when i came out public early 40s mid 40s and gary was quite shocked um I felt guilty that I, I didn't approach him because I th he, he could have helped for sure. And he would have um, certainly felt guilty. I didn't approach my brother, you know, my mom and dad, who I've always remained uh, yeah. close with. And as I started telling a few, you know, I'm just sharing more honestly with some of my closer friends, uh, Paul and Sheila and Sean and Darcy and, all those people I was close with at the time, um, it made it a little bit easier. Made it a little bit easier for sure. My my heart breaks for the young you uh, because it's so horrible, and I I really would like you to put that guilt burden down because mm. you're still carrying it. And you have nothing to be guilty about. The unfortunate thing about when we're suicidal, we don't necessarily want to end our lives. And that's why some people think, oh, my God, it's so selfish. 
you're not thinking of the people you're leaving behind. But the fact is, you're not thinking of leaving people. You're thinking of ending your own pain. Mm -hmm. And that's a really crucial point because for many, many years, yes, engulfed in guilt. And, and mo most of the guests I talk to feel the same way. And yet, it's not about that. Mm. And until you become a suicide survivor or one left behind, you can't really understand and take in those around you and begin to put them first. Because not everybody gets to a place where they can be so happy and have a full life like you do. Mm -hmm. And it can be more difficult to make the choice to choose life every day. Yeah, I'm certainly glad I did, Elaine. That's that's for sure, because um, life is, uh, I'm so grateful, you know, to, when I, as I said, when I was a child, Elaine, what did I want to do? I wanted to be a television and film actor, yes. Yes. you know, and, um, and you are to, you know, to do television for 19 years. This is my 19th year now. Uh, I just can't believe it. You know, um, people will often ask me where I get my energy from. Um, <laughs> certain a big part of it is to, to have the opportunity to walk through those doors at, at I mean, Montreal was a wonderful experience. No regrets. Yeah. It was, it was challenging. Um, Monica, my wife, stayed here in Ottawa, as well as my daughter and my stepson, and I commuted back and forth every weekend. So that was a, a huge challenge. But yeah. uh, Rogers TV community television is is just the perfect fit for me. It yeah. really is. Yeah. I, I, I love the idea that for um, many of the guests that come into our, our station, you know, it's the first time they've ever been on TV and I, I get to be the person to, you know, help them navigate their nerves and the anxiety. And um, it's it's scary for a lot of people to go yeah. on television, for sure. And to be the, you know, the first person to help them navigate through that. It's uh, I take a lot of a lot of pride in that. And I am, you know, when in the introduction, um, you know, you mentioned how. I have this natural curiosity and I do, I, I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. I love hearing about how they started their business. I love hearing their successes. I love having conversations like you and I are having right now. Um, you know, I have to do it in a, in a, in a much more condensed time, obviously, yeah. but I've had some of the most powerful conversations with people sitting across from me who, you know, I've gone through any number of challenges, you know, living with rare mm -hmm. diseases and, uh, you know, cancer survivors. And Absolutely. I think everything that I've gone through has helped me connect with those people, right? Yeah. Um, I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to be at the very bottom, you know, and... I think it comes across in, in interviews that I, I really do I really do care about you sitting across from me. I, 
I, I, I don't think there's anyone anywhere that could possibly doubt that. Yeah, it's a gift, right? You it have to look gift. at it as a, as a gift. You know, this medical yes. condition is like a superpower. It, it is your superpower. And from it, you have developed such incredible empathy and genuine caring for those that you speak to. Uh, you know, who better for first-time people coming on television? Who better to talk to than you? I don't yeah. think there is anyone. And I have to say, over those 19 years, whether you were here in Ottawa, which we all love, or you went to Montreal, they loved it too. We were sad because we didn't have you, but we got you back. So that's <laughs> I'm so happy to be when they asked me to come back to host daytime. Oh, my goodness. Uh, can't tell you what that feeling was like walking through those doors. It, it was just <sighs> magical. And people don't realize that we're a volunteer driven television station as well. So yeah. outside of outside of myself, it's a paid position and my producer and director Stan, everybody else is a volunteer. It's volunteer, yeah. Yeah, and the beauty of that is that everybody wants to be there because they, they love the atmosphere. I, I love, um, Montreal was interesting because it was a, a three hour show, right? And we had a news yeah. reel. So it was news, weather, sports, and interspersed with with interviews. So our guests didn't necessarily meet each other, right? Because they were interspersed throughout that three hours. Yeah. Where on daytime, all of our guests arrive a half hour before we go live. And they sit in that green room. And that green room, I've always described it, it's a magical place. You know, because you have people that have been on TV before and they're supporting the person that's, yeah. you know, going on for their first time. Everybody's networking together. You know, we did this show. We did the show virtually uh, during the pandemic and we condensed it to a half hour show and it was all virtual. Um, there's nothing like having people in that green room and then bringing them into studio. Oh, yeah. And, our volunteers do such an amazing job of making everybody feel comfortable. I love the idea that I get to meet all the guests before they come on the show with me, um, you know, to give them that sort of sense of comfort and to, to let them know, you know, to go through all the content. I still write all my notes down by hand to make sure that I have done, you know, as much research as possible. And I know it's only a seven minute segment, but, I want to make sure that that person's going to shine. So yeah. if you're nervous on TV and I haven't done my homework, uh, I can't properly prompt you into right. all of the things that you're an expert about, right? Because that's what that's what my job is to is to make people yeah. shine. And uh, yeah, so it's so great to be back. I mean, that was interesting how I got that show. Again, a nerve wracking experience because. You know, live television for somebody that lives with incontinence. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there, there's some anxiety involved in that. And <clears throat> you know, I told you how much I love sports. I also fell in love with with acting and theater. And throughout high school, yes. I was on. You know, Iron uh, Soldier comes to uh, mind. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, one of the movies I did. Brett Kelly film that I did. Uh, I've been involved in a few of Brett Kelly's. Uh, Kelly's films he does such yeah. a, a great job of giving people opportunities and I've done some you know voices for video games yeah. and that kind of thing as well and uh, but theater was a lot of fun I was on the improv team 
in high school. I was on the uh, assembly committee as well. So I would write and direct and, and act and short plays. And I, I, I just love that experience. Again, that was an outlet. Um, my parents sent me to a, a weeks long um, day camp, which was oh. a sort of a summer drama camp. Yeah. And uh, I, I loved it again. A nice escape too, right, Elaine? Because you get to be somebody else yes. for a period of time right, in your acting. And uh, I think I like that. But at the same time, this this opportunity with, with Rogers, I, I think what, what was so fulfilling is they wanted me to be me, yes. right? You're yeah. not acting. They, yes. they, they, they hired you to be yourself. And uh, there's no greater compliment than than that that's for sure i actually competed against four other people um for mm -hmm. the opportunity to become the host so going back 19 years ago they had a contest to replace jeff mahler at the time jeff yes. mahler was was going back into radio yeah. and uh, he and kirsten johnston had been hosting and i was going to replace well one of us was going to replace jeff so i competed against four other people it was pretty exciting because our yeah. our photos were in the ottawa sun and it's you know yeah. it, it had a little article about you know vote for your favorite host and we all were going to get an opportunity to host the show alongside kirsten um a, you know a one hour block and then people could vote online for their they favorite host and I had a great amount of support. I, I actually got the most votes. I think it came down to management did say they had um, the ability to choose themselves, but yeah. I ended up I ended up getting the most votes. And I didn't even know it was really a paid position for the first actual uh, three or four years. I, I worked full time at my father's accounting firm and then part time at Rogers. So I was doing about 10 hour days. They were wow. just down the street from each other. So yeah. I was very fortunate in that I could bounce back and forth between the two jobs. And then when TL and I started co-hosting together, there was just, again, that magic. We clicked so well. We fed yeah. off each other. Same sense of humor. Um, you know, we could pick on each other and there were never any hard feelings. We had so much fun. And then Rogers offered... Um, to bring both of us on full time. And uh, wow. that was, I mean, I, I asked them, probably drove Lynn Whitehead, my executive producer, <laughs> um, absolutely crazy because probably every month I would say, hey, by the way, if there's ever an opportunity for full time, I would love to come full time. And uh, that, that eventually came around and Rogers has always been uh, so good to me. And, and you know, just ex expanded, um, my my skills really uh, being in it for so long you know this uh past municipal election i did all 24 yes. uh, debates uh, which i had never done i mean i've moderated panels before but certainly never moderated debates before and i, I love that i'm a bit of a political junkie yeah. um so to be able to immerse myself in that was was a lot of fun and last summer uh, city news asked if i could fill in for rob snow on radio and again that's right that was um, an amazing opportunity. Rob and I became quite fast friends and I uh, started filling in for Sam LaPrat as well, who again, yeah. you know, just two wonderful people, easygoing, um, no egos, uh, yeah, no, welcome no, me with, yeah, welcome me with open arms and 
Um, so I, I really relished in, in the opportunity to do both television and, and radio these days. Well, and, and yes, and I have to say, I, I appreciate the Rogers television and radio family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not just for you. Also, I'll be honest and say my son is on Rogers radio. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> have to have to put that in there. Of course. Of course. <clears throat> I, I just. I'm not often, but I seem to be at a loss for words. <laughs> you you wrap that up so beautifully. You have such a, a wonderful depth to you, but you have such like good comedic timing. <laughs> and yet you're, you can be so very serious and so very caring and it just it just endears you more. I I think quite honestly you are the full package. Thanks, and, I uh, that. I'm I'm absolutely thrilled and honored uh, that you came on the show because it certainly I had wanted to talk to you uh, on the show years ago when when I first started because I, I knew a little bit about your history and and mm. I was at one of the first. Uh, events, a morning event where you shared your story. And I have to say thank you because I had only started sharing mine and your story gave me the impetus to start opening up a little more about my own. Hmm. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I know um, it's I think it's really important to thank people uh, that have made a difference in our lives. It's yeah. something that uh, I've I've tried to do every time I've I've done a um, a speaking engagement. And you know, with that said, I've got to say I mentioned my wife Monica. Wow, um, to find somebody that loves you unconditionally, unconditionally, no matter. Um, you know, I'm, it's not easy sometimes to live with somebody that, no. you know, has, you know, this kind of condition and, uh, you know, she, she always, you know, I, I, I <clears throat> Monica is my, my second marriage, my first marriage, certainly no regrets, um, needed each other at, at that time, yes. incredibly young, um, proposed after three months of meeting and uh, um, you know have a beautiful daughter from that from that relationship but uh, we grew apart for sure yeah. uh, and to find Monica later on in life is just being the perfect person for me in, in every way imaginable um, no one that I'd ever been with before called me handsome, called me sexy, made me feel attractive, like Monica has. You know, she says it to me often, and it, it means the, the world to me. And, you know, as far as Elaine, you know, considering this condition as, as a gift, I think one of the gifts is, and I've said this before, is that, you know, when Monica and I are intimate, 
um, it, it's it's magical every single time. Every single time, it just it's the most amazing feeling to have somebody that you know is still attracted to you regardless of of your situation and. She's taught me so much about myself and taught me skills I never thought I, I would learn. She's like, Monica can do anything, you know. She's an electrician, a plumber, a drywaller, um, a mother, wonderful companion. I mean, she's just the, the whole package. She absolutely is. And, and as Monica knows, I'm a big fan girl. But maybe what you don't know as much is, she just doesn't tell you those things. She tells us those things too, <laughs> how wonderful you are. And the love between you two is so incredibly obvious. It permeates the air around you. Yeah, people ask me to, um, which I love to do, you know, I've emceed hundreds of uh, yeah. events, charitable events, nonprofit events and so forth. And the only thing I ever ask is that Monica is there by my side, yes. you know, yes. and uh, and she is, and we've been so fortunate to go to so many incredible events and get to know. I mean, in in the position I find myself in, um, the two of us have gotten to know our community so well. I mean, we're so fortunate that we just know everybody. You know, people always ask us, you know, well, what restaurant should I go to? What what was this event like? Hey, what's coming up this weekend? And it, and it's nice to be to feel like you're kind of the go-to person every now and then for your friends and family. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what a gift that is for our community. That the two of you are not only so involved, but are so enthusiastic about being so involved. Oh, I just love this city. I, I This is a great... For people, you know, it's always been, um, you know... People have termed it, you know, the city that fun forgot and that yeah. it closes down at 5 p.m. And I've always said, you know, it's not just this. It's not just where you're living. It's who you surround yourself with. Absolutely. You have to bring you have to bring the fun to the party. Wherever the party may be. 100 percent, Elaine. 100 percent. And we've come. I mean, I, 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 I love watching this city grow. We've grown Oh exponentially my God, yes. in particular in the last two decades if i just look at the restaurant scene in itself yeah. um just been amazing and then and, and i understand the criticism you know going back 30 40 years ago it was steakhouses and roadhouses and you didn't really have you know um a lot Not much a lot of variety yeah, yeah yeah but now uh we are you know we have some of the greatest restaurants in 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 north america in this absolutely and every type of food there is on on the planet earth you can find right here in our city well just a wonderful community too right the chefs in this community sure they're they're they compete against each other because that's the nature of any industry but you know when you call upon them to step up and to help oh. out with a charity and you know help out they, with, with oh, an they event, really always do. musicians and artists same thing in this city same thing you know, yeah, I think um, I think we're incredibly lucky that way that as much as Ottawa has grown and, and is so metropolitan now, it still has that small town feel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 
it's what I love most about about Ottawa is that feeling of of still being a small town, but yeah, yeah. Um, turning into a big city at the same time. Absolutely. Um, I realized I've kept you well over time. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. It's, I don't mind. It's so it's so wonderful to have you as my guest, and I'm hoping somewhere down the line we'll get you back. And I'm wondering if maybe we could do a joint with you and Monica. I would love that. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. I really appreciate that. Sorry about the dog. That's <laughs> okay. I'm surprised mine have been quiet so far. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, well, one one is a visitor, so she's not quite as aware of how we're <laughs> supposed to be quiet when we're taping. <laughs> no problem at all. I want to say thank you, my guest, Derek Fage. You'll find all of his links, all everything to do with him, and a link to his TEDx, which I really strongly suggest you watch. I'm Elaine Lindsay, and as I often say, make the very best of your today every day, and I will see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll get notified for the next episode. And if what you hear here resonates or helps in any way, please kindly leave a review. It'll be greatly appreciated. And remember, sharing your story can help lighten your burden. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results. And also by Canada's keynote humorist, Judy Croon, the motivational speaker, comedian, author, and stand-up coach at Second City. On the stage, Judy draws from her wealth of performance experience, wit, and insight to entertain, inform, and inspire in her dynamic keynotes and half-day workshops.